0: Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel coming to you every day.
1: Welcome back to the Reset Rebel Podcast with me, Joe Yule, and today's episode. ...is a smorgasbord of all the women who have inspired me lately and continue to inspire me through their passion, creativity, art, words and dedication to the work that they do to empower others to tell their stories... Have you ever felt like maybe it was time to tell yours, is my question to you. Maybe you wish to refine your voice techniques or get better at public speaking. Or maybe you just want to work out or feel into what your own unique sound is really like, when you're not surrounded by the noise of your everyday doings. In just two weeks from now, I'm holding an event with nine female speakers, three of which... Uh, who are on today's show, but each of them has their own special skill and talent that allows us to maybe refine a little piece of us that got lost along the way and enable us to reconnect, realign with our purpose, and tap back in to the magic source of authenticity. So we start with Rebecca Frayne um, a woman who has dedicated the last 60 years, and she's 60 this year, just to be precise, <laughs> to telling the stories of women. And her most recent film, called Misbehaviour, starred Kira Knightley as well as Gugu Mabatha Raw. And it's the story about the 1970s protest at the Miss World competition. At that time, Miss World was the most watched TV show in the world with over 100 million viewers. So it was a good stage for the women's liberation movement at the time to get some media attention over the fact that they felt that beauty competitions objectify women. So I asked Rebecca why she's always focused on the kinds of stories in her work and what drove her to write this particular film.
0: All my career, I've tried to make stories that showcase uh, women with agency. Um, I'm turning sixty this year, so I grew—I was born in 1962. So I grew up in pretty dark ages for women, and um, it, we really, we were very invisible. I mean, in in, the ni- in 1970, when that film was set, I think two percent of women in the UK were MPs. Well, women really didn't appear in public unless they were wearing, you know, a chiffon dress or a bikini on the Miss World show um uh, and were being fetishized for their looks, so um when I heard this debate about i hadn't i I was only eight when when the demonstration happened when the uh, women got into the Miss world show, so i don 't actually remember it happening, but it definitely unleashed a wave of kind of mischief and rebellious spirit. That coloured the times, and definitely I came of age off that. And I was like, oh my God, here enshrined is a spectacle. So I tell stories in different forums, and if it's very internal story, um, then I will choose to write it in a novel. But this was a spectacle. So I just immediately thought, we've, we've, I've got to find a way of doing this. And and, and you know, looking into it, I realised it was the year that the women's movement was actually formally founded in the UK at Oxford at the beginning of that year. I had no idea. This is our our history, and it had never been taught to me. And that really galvanises me to do to you know. So then, this is a story for women about their own history. We need to know it. We can't understand ourselves if we don't know what shaped us. And I'm also kind of, you know, a little bit like, why do these stories disappear? And it's because, you know, even at that stage, 10 years ago, there were still relatively few women storytellers. And, you know, of course, it takes a woman to find that story interesting and to really want to dig deep and to tell it with integrity. And, we, I, I, A, I couldn't find a lot of the material. So, as you say, I had to... It just was no one had bothered to record it. Um, the women who got into the Miss World competition in 1975 of them were arrested. They went to Bow Street Court, which was the famous uh, magistrate's court in London, and they decided to put the patriarchy in the dock. So this was an, a whole magnificent historical event I'd never heard of. I go to the archive base, oh, we threw it all away. He threw away women putting the patriarchy in the dock for three days. I mean, you know, that. my first instinct was, we that's the film. All of that gone, because no one cared, because no one thought it was important. So the harder it got, the more determined I became. And um, once I had script, the BFI of uh, the British Film Institute agreed to fund me. It was fronted by a woman, she got it. And it was also a multicultural story. It was the first year that Black Miss World won played by Gugu Mbatha-Raw, who's absolutely fantastic in the film. I then We then struggled to finance it. I mean, really, to be honest, people paid lip service, but they were still, it, feature films, they rated films where, uh, that had two named women in them who talked about anything other than men. And it was something like 4% of feature films passed the test. Mm. So you go into meetings because I was producing it as well as writing it with potential sponsors and they they kind of paid lip service to how important this was that this film got out there but you could see that they really they were always men they didn't really get it and what really changed was about halfway through that process the Me Too movement happened you know and pazam it suddenly became a zeitgeist project overnight and this Term, the patriarchy, which has seemed very stale and moribund, suddenly was back in currency again. And from that point, uh, you know, um, Pathé bought it, you know, who uh, uh, made many um, social history films. And we bought in Philippa Lothorpe, who's a very talented director who'd done a lot of documentary verite work. And um, so the project was a go project uh, and and would have been a (laughs) triumphant story. We opened in every cinema in the UK and three days later lockdown came. And so we closed in every cinema in the country. Mm. So throughout lockdown on every high street in every city in the country, you could pass a cinema that said misbehaviour, but you couldn't get in there.
1: coming to a cinema nowhere near you. Um interesting. I think, you know, that's interesting what you say about the putting the patriarchy in the dark. I mean, how how would you describe what, you know, what that looked like because I gather, you know, these women were causing kind of like Anarchy at Bow Street Magistrates Court, where I actually have spent quite a lot of time in in the past myself as a journalist in London. So it kind of rang a bit of a bit of a bell. Obviously, it looked a lot different in the 1970s, but it was interesting, you know, the way they kind of ran amok and created this amazing scene where you know women were really up for making um, a really big um, mark. Really, I think on trying to to get that storyline and that narrative into into the mainstream.
0: So absolutely, it was the first direct action. The women that women had taken since the suffragettes um, and that really blew my mind I mean by that stage I'd done quite a lot of environmental activism and so I really had done a lot of thinking about how you create social change how you put a movement on the map and of course the suffragettes did it in all kinds of extraordinary ways that Changed history and changed our lives for the better. And we owe them a great debt. And for some of those women, as we know, it, you know, actually meant being in prison and force fed. And you know, one woman died under the horse, the hooves of a horse. And, you know, the, this was real sacrifice that some of this direct action took. So I was really struck that for 100 years since then, you know, women had remained, having made that great gain to be able to vote, relatively invisible, had relatively only recently been allowed to attend universities, and then even more recently than that, to actually um, be given the degree that they had worked so hard for. So it, for me, if you're 60, these are very fresh. It's not ancient history. So I was really excited by the idea of telling a story in which women take direct action. And my environmental group that I had been co-collaborated co-collabor- with was were all women. Um, and I think that you you can't you can't be what you don't see. And if if we can, I just felt that that, that even so late in the day, in millennial days, we were still not seeing active women, women role models. I mean, they're coming through the Angela Merkel's, uh, uh, Christian Lagarde. You know, it's slowly, slowly, but it's slow. So um, I, I I that was what excited me very much about it. And also that it was direct action with mischief and humour. You know, they had an immense amount of fun and anarchy. So it wasn't angry and it wasn't alienating. And of course, very uh, once Me Too happened, then things like Extinction Rebellion started to occur, which, which had a kind of kinship with the spirit in which those early um, women's activists were operating in the 70s.
1: How has it been to be you know this isn't just the the only film you've made you've made lots of films including the one I want to talk about in a moment with Aung San Suu Kyi about her life story called The Lady and I think I'd love to hear from your perspective like what challenges you faced along the way or why specifically you've wanted to focus on women's stories.
0: So I think that you know I I I, I went, it came into the film business in the eighties, and it became very clear to me that all the feminist ideas that I had come of age on, you know those days uh, the thinkers were Germaine Greer, Gloria, Gloria Steinem, you know the great sort of icons of the day. Um, so I, I I I embarked on the working world, full of idealism and energy and determination and i realized that the systems really really were weighted still against women and so i the first thing i did i after my degree i went and trained in the casting rooms i thought to get a sort of technical craft because i really, at that stage my um what i wanted to do and what i did do for 15 years was to be a documentary director so i thought you know let's really give weight and heft to what i have to offer so I got a craft basis, I went to the BBC and I was trained there. And I saw how few women directors there were, and how few women writers there were, and how few women producers. And, and you know, clubs, elites are self-reinforcing, you give jobs to the people like you, which was white middle class men gave jobs to white middle class men. And they might pay liberal lip service, but nothing was changing. So... It only occurred to me when I left the BBC that I could make a virtue out of that—that the, the, the stories that I saw, all these stories that weren't being told because men didn't find them interesting—they just simply didn't see them—and so, I, in a way, I thought, well, that's what I'm going to embrace. That's my agenda. So I made um, initially I made stories about women artists who weren't being represented, like Nora Ephron. There was a very successful art show called the South Bank Show, and it was all about men writing men painting mm-hmm. so uh, you know I, I persuaded the editor Melvin Bragg, to make a film about Annie Leibovitz who was you know seminal who 's had you know, helped shape cultural history um and then you know that film went down well and i I went back and he uh, persuaded him to make a film on Nora Ephron who was you know remains one of the great sort of Women, funny writers with a sort of sharp, feminine eye. It was extraordinary that no one had made a film about her. I persuaded Channel 4 to make a film about Lenny Riefenstahl, very controversial, you know, uh, filmmaker, uh, working um, with Hitler, but making these extraordinary films. How had no one made a film about her 50 years on? It was incredible to me. I mean, it just gave me such an appetite and a determination that these women are not being seen. And I... I personally want Pathfinders and I think that the women around me, we all need Pathfinders to see that women are doing it and they they have unique perspectives. Let's explore them. And so then as I started to diversify on from uh, directed documentaries to screenwriting, um, I came across the story. I was travelled in Burma, actually, is what happened. And on a very grim week with the government, you had to have a government minder there and you had to stay in a government hotel. And they tried to sort of stop you seeing anything they didn't want you to see. But uh, Aung sang Suu Kyi had just been put under house arrest. And what people wanted to tell us when the government minder was out of earshot was that their only hope was this woman who'd been put under house arrest. So again, when I came back, it's like, well, why is no one talking? This is a, you know, as I started to watch her, this has become more complicated but for for a long while she was really of the status of gandhi and mandala why was no one telling that story so okay all right you know here's a challenge and and and, and it's kind of thrilling you know to, to 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 be given a clear agenda and to make a positive out of a negative
1: Rebecca will be speaking on the final night of our Women's Voice Activation Retreat later this month. We will also be recording a live version of this podcast. So if you can't make it to join us in Ibiza at the Word of Mouth Cafe for that in-conversation chat, you will be able to catch the full conversation on this podcast in November. Next, we hear from Alex Gray, a spoken word artist and actress and someone whom I work with a lot in my podcasting world. She has an incredible voice and presence and shares with us how she always has her why close to her chest before she engages with her work and feels that being vulnerable is key to being able to express ourselves in a way that allows others to really engage with what it is that we want to share. Alex will be holding the space on day one of our voice retreat with a workshop she's calling Looking For Her, where you will be invited to write a letter to your voice and maybe the part of you that got lost along the way.
2: It's taken me like many, many years to realise, well, actually, I'm still learning, but learning when is the right moment to speak? When is the right moment to stay quiet? Also, what is what is my true voice that's coming through? And what is my, you know, maybe my conditioned voice? And that voice is not just about the sound of things. It's about the color and the story that you give to something that needs to be shared. Mm. So after, you know, I, I mean, I professionally trained as an actress and there was a lot of voice work that was involved. I worked as a voiceover artist as well as an actress. And, you know, knowing that I had a good voice for certain things, but I would say that it's really in the last couple of years and since living on this island that I've realized how important it is to give voice to things and allow that to come through you.
1: When when was the first moment that you realized how important that was specifically?
2: when my daughters called me and asked me for advice, <laughs> you know, that when they, when they asked me for advice, I was like, okay, you know, there's something important that I have to share. Um, I realized also like having the invitation to speak, um, people asking to, to hear me say something made me realize that, that I obviously have a voice that people want to, to listen to sometimes. But I think, really above all it was kind of when I was able to sit with like my own imperfections as a as a woman and be able to look at the things the things in this life that need a voice um, not because they're perfect or it's something wonderful or amazing but just yeah just that realization that there are stories to be told and people need need to hear them and what knowing that I I have a voice and that I can use it artistically and creatively and then realizing why I wanted to have a voice. So knowing that I have a voice and then realizing why I felt it was important to use it was the moment that I realized I have a voice. Mm
1: -hmm. Has there ever been sort of like a moment where you you felt shut down, you felt unable to access that amazing voice that you do have?
2: Yes, I think when I felt like I wasn't good enough I wasn't worthy um who am i to say anything who am i to uh, you know who am i to speak up and and share the truth i think thinking that like a voice only has power if you're famous if you're rich if you're in a a, in a position of power um thinking that you had to be that person in order to be able to even share your voice, or to even even be worthy of anybody listening. You know, maybe being somebody that's studied, or you know, has a PhD in I don't know neuroscience, and yes. you know, which of course, like that is all really important. But I think you know, us as the common people, um, mm-hmm. actually, our voices are our voices are really important, and it's important that we listen to one another and help each other help each other with our voices and share what needs to be shared. Because I can, you know, I know I could speak to, I could speak to any one of my friends or my family, and they would tell me, um, you know, oh, um, there was something that you said I remember years ago, and it made me do something different or it changed my mind or, and vice versa, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like when you read a sentence in a book, you know, the book might have 400 pages, but there's just one sentence in that book that can change the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. I feel that we should never take it for granted, those interactions that we have with other humans on a daily basis, where just sharing something really simple and vulnerable that's going on in our lives could actually help shape not only the rest of the day, but also the rest of the future and realize how important we are. Mm-hmm. Beautiful.
1: I love that. And I think, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much power in our words and definitely i think uh, uh, beyond most people you just have a lot of clarity in your voice and and the the way that you communicate i mean even when you leave me these gorgeous little whatsapp messages i love oh yeah (laughs) i love listening to them and the things that you do say are yeah they're always helpful and they're always encouraging and they're always very thoughtful even though they're probably potentially just a stream of consciousness i always enjoy listening to them and i think you know i was listening to um the latest podcast or yesterday's podcast he's putting out so many podcasts more frequently than ever before actually on the, the diary of the ceo and his latest guest was julian treasure great name um and Thanks. he's like had like the sixth most listened to ted talk of all time and it's basically about um talk you know when you speak um getting people to actually hear what you say And it's like an hour and a half episode. It's taken me two days to get through it. I've polished the rest of it off in the gym this morning. And what he did say, this is exactly referring to what you've said about maybe just reading one sentence in a book. Sometimes I'll just hear one thing that someone says in a podcast and it just, it really resonates. And he said, the biggest challenge to be authentic, let me get this right. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming. To know who you are, to know who you really are. And I think... That is exactly what I kind of heard in the words of a woman last week who was making an acceptance speech at the Emmy Awards. It was the same thing. She bellowed out, you know, I'm an endangered species and I'm a woman and I know where my voice belongs. And it actually, oh, really my sent God, to I the heebie-jeebies. And I felt like I actually just stopped dead in my tracks. And I was like, wow, what a powerful mm. statement, because mm. I just don't think. Yeah, I think a lot of us don't really know what that means, you know, to know where we belong, who we are, and what exactly it is that we really need and want to say in this lifetime. And I think that that's yeah. just one of the most incredible things that I think I've, I've heard, you know, that's, that's something yeah. that feels really important to me. So I wonder, you know, in terms of your own capacity to tap into your own authenticity through the work that you do do, I mean, where does that, where does that come from? What, what do you dig into when you kind of preparing for something like that?
2: i dig into why and um like why i'm doing something because you know for years i was like paralyzed by fear of you know not being good enough not being worthy not feeling that i had anything to say and so understanding why i want to say what i'm saying or making that maybe making that piece of rhyming verse that i'm going to perform being more important it's more important of who's going to hear it than rather the fact that I'm saying it and that there'll always be one person that needs to hear what you're saying. And that one person is enough to also go out there and make a difference and make a change. And also understanding that it doesn't actually have to be so complicated or so intelligent or so wacky or, or even so unusual. It just has to be um, simplicity. There has to be simplicity. There has to be truth and there has to be a desire you know to really serve and to trust the voice that's coming through and and almost have a little bit of um detachment from the fact that um you know the voice the, the true voice that comes through is not our ego it's it's not what we sound like it's not what we've been through and it's not who we are the true voice is just what we have to really build like a strong Bond of trust with and allow it to come through, and I think when I do anything from that place, then you just you can't go wrong. I mean, even if you go wrong, like it's not wrong. It mm. it's, in that in that moment, in that moment, it needed to be imperfect. It needed to, you know, fuck up. It needed to just be uh, what it was. Somebody needed to see you in your vulnerability and your imperfection. So then you also have the trust around that. So. That's my kind of way in, is having a really strong why. I want to open my mouth.
1: Now, you may have witnessed an uprising going on in Iran. It's pretty difficult to shield from or ignore or not be aware of it right now, Iran's protests are the first counter-revolution led by women in history. Women are still defying and dying in an uprising that's historically unique for being centred on women's freedom. Despite the dangers of arrest and death, Iranian women of disparate ethnicities have united in imaginative ways. The spark was the abrupt death of Masa Amini, a 22 year old Kurd, after she was sent to a re education center for inappropriate attire. With reports she showed too much hair protruding from beneath her headscarf in Tehran. She ended up in a coma on a ventilator and died three days later on September the 16th. Protest chants about her death quickly evolved into calls to oust the regime. And despite the horror of the violence and death stare, one can only admire from afar the defiance of the women there who are standing up for their human rights, their freedom and a life that they wish to live, which our next guest, Olivia Gajewski, I hope I've said that correctly, um, told me that she feels is divine timing, that we can run this event in this exact moment to add our own grain, as she calls it, to the support of their cause.
3: Just speaking about the, you know, women in Iran, I think, yeah, it's, it's what is happening there is happening in all of us. And it's like just, you know, the culmination and an example of what, you know, we have been living through as women for a long time and the power that is inside of us and is in our voice um yeah it's it's beautiful that this coincides right now with the retreat and that we bring our grain to that our part um so my workshop so i I call my workshops courageous like i told you so it's the you that is courageous the uh because i think that's a quality that is so important to nurture courage the courage can be a little thing It doesn't have to be you know climbing up mountains when you're afraid of heights or going bouldering when you're afraid of heights or whatever but little baby steps towards courage and so we'll explore that And for me, courage can be, you know, as simple as listening to yourself and listening to your voice and listening to what is happening inside of you. That's for me already a courageous step. What I like to focus on is creating awareness for the journey that you've been on with your voice. So what I invite everyone to do is to create a body voice relationship journey which is a beautiful exercise to create that awareness and to get a feeling of gratitude and acknowledgement for what you have been through. And of course the voice is in the body. So you can't just look at the voice or look only at the body, it's it's holistic, it's whole. So we need to include the body and see what has been the highs and the lows. And I tell you, it's so beautiful to see when, you know, after this exercise, like each and every woman could write a book you know, about their life, about what they have experienced with their stories, with their hurdles and difficulties and challenges. And that we look at it not from a place of judgment, but from a place of awareness and acknowledgement for what we have gone through. I like to start with that because I think anything starts with, any change starts with awareness.
1: So I spoke to Olivia on Instagram Live while perched atop the roof of the Aguas de hotel, watching the sun sink to close the day. So apologies for that music interference there. I kept the clip short. But the reason I recorded that chat uh, on that roof terrace was because that we have two tickets for the retreat that include four nights. At Aguasta Ibiza, um, and that also provides access to the Clarins Spa, the only Clarins Spa on the island, a gorgeous gym, and the most incredible breakfast buffet at the five-star hotel. So check out that link in our show notes for those luxury ladies tickets. But despite the briefness of my chat to Olivia due to the sound issues as the DJ ramped up the music on that terrace, much to my surprise, I'm so excited to welcome Olivia as a speaker to the Women's Voice Activation Retreat because she will inspire us to be courageous. She will inspire us to love the sound of our own voice, which I think I'm starting to understand is a very rare thing judging from the comments that I receive on my podcast courses and also the women that I work with through podcasting Um, and you know if we can't be courageous from the safety of the Balearic shores um, and the tranquility here when so many women globally are being so brave right now to fight for their own lives and the future of women and their role in society then when can we really tap into our own voices and speak up be brave and say what we really want to say So I'm so grateful to have shared this short, sharp insight into these three women today. If any of their words sparked something inside you, um, just, just to wish to join us on our voice activation retreat from the 28th to the 30th of October in two weeks time here in Ibiza, let me know because there is still space for you in what will be a very intimate group of women at the La Luna Gallery in Siesta. We will be gathering um, in a space that will feel like a place that we can really speak up and be heard. That feels really, really important to me at this moment in time. This is why I've created this retreat and I wanted to talk about it just once on today's episode Um, to see if I could galvanise any other women out there to join us. Um, And we end today's episode with a song from our voice activation leader, Holly Roxanne, who you've heard in previous episodes, um, who's going to be running those voice activations singing, singing, sessions and sound solstress she's a solstress of sounds she's been running those sessions daily on the beach before the rest of the program so her song is called the river ran red and we'll end this podcast but before that we have a poem from alex gray called a woman i am
2: as the heart beckons towards the earth i shake i tremble with ecstasy with love Dancing with the rhythms of this sweet soulful life, living the questions with a truth so sharp it cuts like a knife. The cosmic vibrations weaving through the stars, I gaze from above. I incarnate as the wild feminine with my bare feet on the grass. Rooting through the earth with a matrix of magic, I choose now to be my time. A time to be wild with courage and freedom. A seeker, a magician, a goddess, a sacred keeper. I hold this gift of life so dearly in my hand. I kneel down, kiss the earth. A woman I am.
1: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Reset Rebel. We will see you next week.
4: The river ran red that day, we called it and it came Oceans of women poured down on me like rain The river ran red that day, we called it and it came down on me like rain, let it rain, let it rain.